Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick here with Figured Out Baseball. Get on the Figured Out Baseball podcast here today with Jamie Serber. Jamie is the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator at North Carolina A&T University, a Division One school in Greensboro, North Carolina. I've known Coach Serber for uh, for quite a few years, so excited to catch back up with him on the podcast. I was also able to go down to North Carolina A&T's campus this past summer and uh, and, and spend a day with Coach Serber, get some video with him, and uh, we got some really quality pitching stuff. So. For any pitchers out there, pitching coaches, I would encourage you to check out his videos on the website, and you'll see things that uh, Coach Server does with his his players on an every week, if not an everyday basis. Um, so there'll be some some great videos to check out at figureitoutbaseball.com. I'll give you a little background on Coach Server before we jump into questions with him. Uh, Coach Server is a Rural Hall, North Carolina native. Going back to his high school career, as a high school junior, he was named Conference Player of the Year. He started, or he pitched uh, that year, went 10 and 0 personally, and the team started that season 30 and 0, which might be a cool place to start. Uh, that's a really impressive win streak, and there were some some pretty impressive names on that high school team as well. Uh, as a as a college player, Jamie Serber played at High Point University, a Division One school in High Point, North Carolina, in the Big South Conference. At High Point, Coach Serber was a weekend starter for three of his four years there, and finished in his career ninth in career wins and fourth in career innings pitched at High Point, and he's a 2010 graduate of High Point University. In the springs of 2011 to 2013, uh, he became Coach Serber. He was the volunteer coach at High Point University for those three years. In the summer of 2013, he coached the Wilson Tobbs, a collegiate summer team in the Coastal Plains League. In the springs of 2014 and 15, Jamie Serber was the pitching coach at Presbyterian College, a Division I school in Clinton, South Carolina. The 2014 squad had a pitcher that won seven games. That was the most in school history in the Division I era. In 2015, the team won 27 games. That was the most wins for the team in the Division I era. And in his, in his, uh, the team also set the school record in 2015 with 380 total strikeouts by the pitching staff. They also set a school record that year for Ks per game. In his two years at Presbyterian, the team had two of the top three ERAs in school history. Pretty impressive numbers there. And then from 2016 to present, Jamie Serber has been the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator at North Carolina A&T. Uh, he was hired in August of 2016, a little bit of a late hire, you know, comparatively to a lot of uh, a lot of guys when they're when they're getting on board. So um, the team improved their ERA. Listen to this number from in 2016. The team ERA was 9.16. By 2018, the team ERA was 4.18. That is uh, an almost unbelievable turnaround in two years. That 4.18 ERA in 2018 was the lowest team ERA since 1976. In 2017, North Carolina A&T had a pitcher drafted in the 17th round. That was the first North Carolina A&T pitcher drafted in the last 15 years. The 2018 team set a school record with 32 wins. They also set a school record that year with 16 conference wins. The team won the conference championship in 2018 and advanced to the NCAA regional. The team uh, that year in 2018 had a first-team all-conference pitcher, the first starting pitcher to be named uh, first-team all-conference since 2010. They also had a pitcher that year lead the nation in appearances. And then this past year in 2019, the team won 29 games. They had one pitcher named First Team All-Conference, another pitcher named Second Team All-Conference, and they finished with a 3.72 ERA. And uh, for those of you that aren't aware, that don't follow college baseball that much, that is an, an unbelievable number. That actually was good enough to finish 26th in the country, 3.72 ERA with metal bats. 
that's pretty darn good. Uh, Coach Serber, appreciate you spending some time with us here today, and I'm really looking forward to this podcast with you. I appreciate it, Jeff. I'm glad to, glad to do it. I'm excited about having a conversation with you, and uh, um, I appreciate you having me. So I typically like to start with things in the bio that kind of stick out, uh, and there's a couple places that we probably could start, but I kind of want to start with the 3.72 ERA, 26 best ERA in the country for a school that really doesn't have much of a track record of winning, um, really doesn't have much of a track record of just having a lot of success on the baseball field. You and I were talking about this a little bit before uh, before we got before we started recording the podcast. What, could you tell me just a little bit about what that accomplishment meant to you and the school, as well as you know, what, let's same, at the same time maybe kind of hit the 32 wins school record in 2018, going to a regional that year. I mean, the, the success you guys have had in the past couple of years. What has that meant to you personally, and what has that meant to the school just to kind of get NCA and T baseball kind of on the map and and kind of as a team that you know teams in the region, team in the con- teams in the conference need to look at as you know a, a legitimately good. Uh, good college baseball team that you need to kind of watch out for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, the biggest thing, it starts with culture, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, working with Coach Hall and uh, our Coach Stephen Jordan, um, who does our catchers. Coach Hall does the hitting, is the head coach, and uh, I'm the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator. I mean, it just starts uh, with the culture on the staff. We all get along as coaches and try to find the right players to buy in and, you know, work hard and, you know, we got to get be- we had to get better players in for sure from uh from our first year in 2016. You know, we pitched a 9-1-6, I think it was, and you know, we only had nine pitchers. Um, and you know, it was mostly you know nothing against those guys, but you know, it was uh you know they they just wasn't ready for Division One baseball at the time, and we had to we had to recruit. First thing you got to fix to be a good team is uh to get some pitchers in here. They can they can throw strikes and win you some games and uh. You know, it's just a, it's just fun. It's fun coming to work every day, and I think when you're having fun, it's a lot easier to win too. So it's just, it's just a good culture and getting some good players, and you know, playing the game the right way and finding a way to win. It's, it's just the way it is, really here. So with a team that didn't have, you know, a great track record of winning, um, and, and a new staff in there, what was, what were the selling points, you know, to try to get the pitchers that you have in there right now? Obviously. Uh, you know, it, it was more than just recruiting. I, I think a lot of it was, you know, probably the coach they had, and, and we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, but, you know, how much? What was the? What were the selling points to try to get some some better arms in there? You know, what were you telling guys uh, on the phone to make this an attractive offer for them? Well, uh, you know, the, a good thing about North Carolina T is we're a state-funded school, so it's relatively inexpensive for an in-state. North Carolina kid to come to school. Um, so we tried to get good high school kids. Um, you know, they didn't have a whole lot of players with the from North Carolina on the team when we first got here, which was very puzzling. Um, so we tried to get their in-state high school players, and then we get some JUCO players from out of state, and uh, we had a lot of money. We had a lot of money to uh, get players on scholarships. So that was, a, that was a blessing for us, and you know, money talks, and usually the junior college kids want an opportunity to play somewhere, um, and they want a scholarship. And, you know, the high school kids, I think, once we started co- uncovering stones and stuff like that, and I'm from North Carolina, played, you know, my, my career not far away from Greensboro, and, you know, I coached there for a few years, so I had some prior relationships, and, you know, this is where I'm from. So, um, 
we had to we had to recruit our, our home turf. We had to protect that a little bit more than it was done in the past. North Carolina one is one of those schools. There are there's a lot of really good high school baseball, but there are a lot of Division one teams as well. It's you know it's not an easy place to recruit necessarily. There, the way that I looked at it as a recruiting coordinator is there were states that were oversaturated in players, meaning there are more players than there were colleges. There are other states yeah. where it seems to be oversaturated with colleges. Uh, what's the number? How many how many Division one schools are in North Carolina? There's a bunch of them. I forget the number. Yeah, I think we have 19 Division one schools in North Carolina. I thought it was something like that, and it's it's tough to have enough players around, you know, to uh, to fill the rosters of 19 players, which I'm assuming is probably part of the reason why the last staff went out of state a lot. So just I want to talk about a little more, a little more because it's impressive to me the turnaround that you guys had and how quickly it happened and, and you were able to get some of those in-state kids. Um, and if you don't mind me kind of bringing this up, for those of you who aren't familiar with North Carolina A&T, it's a historically black college, uh, but you guys have a very diverse roster uh, as, you know, as far as ethnicity, background of, of players. What was, what what did you guys do a little bit differently, I guess, to get the in-state players that maybe were tough to get in the past, and and draw some of these players away from, you know, all the other Division ones around? Was there was there something specific just besides the money, or or was it that was it the, the money was an opportunity to play? You know, what was it that really you think uh, allowed you guys to get some of the yeses that maybe the prior staffs hadn't been getting from those North Carolina high school kids? Um, I think it was just, you know, uh, developing a relationship, you know, I think you can develop a relationship with anybody, you, um, as much as, as long as you talk to them, you know, uh, you know, going to an HBCU is different for a lot of people. Um, uh, but I think once you get on campus, you give it a chance, you know, you, you can feel more comfortable. Um, and you know, if you're, if you're not familiar with the HBCU or never been on campus and you come and check it out and you, you know, decide whether this is for you or, this is not for you, no matter what your background is. I mean, I, there's really no science to recruiting at HBCU. I mean, we have just as much luck uh, recruiting um, a white kid as opposed to an African-American kid or a Latin kid. Like, it's just you don't know if they want to go to an HBCU until you talk to them. Uh, or, you know, it just depends on where they're at comfortable-wise or, you know, uh, you know, it just depends on the person. It's, it's different for each person and the uh, – you know, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no science behind it. Uh, we just try and call as many kids and get as many kids as we can on campus. And uh, you know, and I think I think our school has been doing extremely good in a lot of sports, and a lot of new buildings are going up. Engineering's huge here, um, and not everybody has engineering, so that's one of our little niches. Uh, we have agriculture. Um, you know, that's another thing that a lot of people don't have. So. You know, and uh, you get some of. Uh, I think every kid needs to make a make a good academic decision as much as they do an athletic decision, and uh, especially when you get a kid to do that, they they go wherever they want to go, you know, uh, or wherever that has their major or what they want to do. Um, so you know, like any coach, we look at their grades and what they want to do, um, and that can that can help us out in recruiting as well. The guys that you got, you've been able to bring in. Um, I've spent some time as a, a little bit of time as a high school coach, and obviously I've talked to a lot of uh, high school players over the years. And I think that junior college gets a bad rap in the high school circuit sometimes, especially in certain pockets of the country. Um, yes. You know, I, I coach junior college ball in Iowa, and I'll tell you that kids in Iowa, like they grow up wanting to go play junior college. 
uh, but I live in Pennsylvania, and here it's like a bad word. You know, if you talk yeah. about junior college, it's like kids look at it like that's where the players that, you know, the guys that they can't cut it academically, that's where they go, and, and that's kind of the the outlook of it. Can you kind of talk a little bit about, you know, as a recruiting coordinator, how you view junior college players? Um, you know, when are you recruiting junior college guys? Are they filling a specific, you know, niche for you, or are they – uh, is that something that's kind of on your radar every year? You know, how do you look at junior college players uh, when you are recruiting them? Well, we, we try and get whatever we don't get in the high school recruiting, uh, you know, over the summer, we're going to try and get junior college in the fall or even the spring. And we've had a lot of luck in the spring with kids that are, you know, waiting to make a decision or maybe they come on late or maybe they were hurt in the fall, but, um, you know, with us saving some money for junior college players every year because that's what we got to do, and that's just that's the formula we figured out, and a lot of teams do that. Um, you know, we we view the junior college kids as something that we need and a necessity every year. Like, we got to gotta find some JUCO kids that can come in, and we know what we're going to get out of them. They're going to be ready, fill a spot, um, and, you know, give us some uh, maturity on the team. So you, it's good. We're trying to do it half and half usually around that area. Okay. So when you're recruiting a junior college player, you you are looking for kids. You kind of said this, but you're looking for a kid who's ready to. You know what you're going to get from him, so he's kind of ready to step in. So yeah. so the difference between is, is it is it accurate to say that a high school player when they come in, you're not always sure what you're going to get out of them right away. You're not you're not you you can't have a real accurate idea of how much they're going to play almost until that spring rolls around. But a junior college player. You've got a little better idea, yeah. And, and you can almost tell them, like, "Hey, you're going to step in and play right away." That's why we're recruiting you. Is that is that pretty accurate to say? Yeah, it's pretty accurate. I mean, you you can get, you know, we've we've recruited some very 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 good high school players. We're really excited about, and you know, if I think if you're saying, "Hey, I got this high school kid coming in next year, and he's going to be ready to pitch on Fridays for me," and I'm I'm going to bank on that. You're like, I don't, I don't, we just don't do that. You can't say that because you never know how the kid's going to handle college life, academics, um, how he's going to be able to handle everything from the college game. You know, there's a lot of different things you got to worry about from the strike zone maybe being a little bit smaller. Hitters are going to be a whole lot better. Um, and, you know, the running game, like it's just a lot of different things. That, you know, the small things are um, that you can get by with um, just because you're better and you throw harder in high school. It ain't necessarily – we all know that's not the case in college. So um, I think – you know, you have a high school kid and you have a junior college kid and um, they're going to compete against each other and, you know, they're going to find the rollout that's going to help the team win the best. But, you know, if you're banking on a high school kid coming in and pitching on Friday, Saturday, or Sundays for you um, a year in advance in the recruiting, um, I think you're kind of, I think you're kind of, uh, you know, giving things up a chance. And, you know, I think any coach doesn't like taking a whole lot of chances. And that's especially true the earlier that high school kids get recruited, guys are committing is, you know, to no, no. anywhere from yeah. freshman year to, you know, to junior year of high school, and it's it's difficult to project what they're going to be the spring of yeah, freshman year. It's crazy now. I don't I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of it, but it's the way it is, and there ain't a whole lot I can do about it until maybe some rules get changed or, you know, followed a little bit more. But <laughs> it is what it is. Do you have any thoughts? I'm sure you talk about this in, in your, you know, in your offices and in your your circle of friends among coaches. Do you have any uh, thoughts about things that the NCAA could do 
to help with with kids not committing sort because I think I truly think that there's not a coach in the country that thinks it's super healthy for high school players to be committing as like freshmen and sophomores and eighth graders for that matter. Yeah. Um, but but it's it's almost a necessity for those big schools because like if you don't You're get that kid to commit, somebody else is going to right. Is there anything yeah. that you think the NCAA can do to try to prevent that or kind of right the ship there? Uh, I think if you had to sign a, a national letter of intent on the you know as you commit spot on you know that would I don't know if anybody would want to sign an eighth grader to an NLI uh, you know so I think if you did that that would that would slow things down a little bit you know because yeah. the kid don't turn out to be as good as they thought it would they're just going to let him go or you know but at least I mean, he doesn't have a scholarship anymore right. at least that would limit the number of guys that they can recruit potentially yeah yeah and uh you know, I think, you know, total not, you know, no communication. You no, know, I think right now you can talk to them as long as they're calling you and stuff like that or, you know, whatever whatever they got going on. But, um, you know, there's always – seems like whatever rule we make, there's a way to snake around the rule. So I think if you had no contact maybe until your junior year and then you could do official business your junior year, which you can do now, and um, sign an NLI, you know, as a junior, I think. I wouldn't have any problem with that. I don't think it would be a bad idea. I've heard that a couple times before, and I it, it's hard to know exactly what to do, but I wish there was something to be done because I just it doesn't it doesn't seem healthy for a lot of, for for anybody really, and and I think that uh, what that creates the early commitments you get a lot of kids that it comes time to actually sign the piece of paper and they don't get you know, they don't get yeah. a piece of paper because they, they've gotten worse. And then, it, like, kind of kind of late, a team sort of drops them. Uh, or hurt, you know, anything, you know. Right, or, or they get hurt. or And, and it stinks, you know, you grow up, you know, you've been committed for three or four years before you even get to school. You've grown up, or you've, uh, you know, you've grown up at being a fan of that school and you've went to football games for the last three or four years after you committed to them and going to basketball games and watching it every time they play on TV. Um, and then you get – uh, close to time to sign your name and make it official, they're like, eh, you know, we got to go in a different direction. That's it's kind of crushing, you know. And then you you'd never be a fan of that school, and your family won't be a fan of that school anymore, and you feel like you've been treated dirty. Um, but you know, a lot of coaches get paid a lot of money, and they got to do what they got to do. Yeah, it's kind of the life, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> so let's go back to. Um, I don't want to get too far off this before I forget about it. The the turnaround that your pitchers have made, Jamie, at A and T, has has been unbelievable. It can't be all about recruiting. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about? Uh, I know you don't love to talk about yourself a whole lot, but tell me a little bit about what you are doing with your pitchers there, to to make kids better, to have sustained success. You know, what are some of the key? Uh, what are some of the keys for you? as far as coaching a pitching staff up and, and making sure you get the best out of them and, and having the kind of success that you've been able to have? Well, I think, you know, the, my first year here, we pitched at a 9-1-6. Like, that was third worst in the nation. Um, and, I you know, everything sucked that year. You know, food didn't taste good, and I didn't sleep good, and I wasn't totally fun to be around ever, but I think that was probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my coaching career because I had to – you know, kind of like your website is, figure it out. You know, there's a lot of things that we had to do better. You know, we didn't we didn't throw strikes. 
Um, you know, people hit 328 off of us. Uh, we didn't have a lot of strikeouts when we won 13 games. Obviously, you're not going to win games when you're pitching a 916. Um, it didn't feel good. It ain't like, you know, we didn't, we didn't, you know, do anything good enough to win. You know, obviously, we only won 13 games. Um, we got a lot of things to work on. So, you know, at the end of the year, I was like, man, we had, like, what do we need to work on? And it's like, obviously, everything. Like, we can work on everything, you know, besides recruiting. But, you know, my biggest thing uh, that I thought we could do, no matter what kind of player we had, what kind of pitcher we had, you know, we're not, we don't have a whole lot of guys going 95, 96 for us. Um, not that anybody does, but um, I was like, we need to throw strikes. If there's anything we can do, we can control, we can throw strikes. And we can be good at the running game. Um, you know, so that's really what we did. And uh, we focused on that. The next year, we made a big improvement. I think we went to a five-year A, which I was happy with. And then we got better. We pitched at a 4-1-4, um, I think it was in 2018, and won the championship. And then we improved again um, um, in 2019, so 3 So our biggest thing, we want to throw three pitches for strikes both sides of the plate. And we want to pitch off the plate when we want to. We want to pitch up in the zone when we want to. And if it breaks balls in dirt, like we need – to throw the ball wherever we want to throw at any time, any count, and that's what we got to do to be successful. You know, 2-1 breaking balls, 3-1 change-ups. Like, we need to master everything, top to bottom. I don't care how we're throwing. We need to do those things. And then, you know, obviously we started doing those things. We started throwing harder. We started getting better players because we're winning and winning a regional. And then that changes everybody's perception of the program. You go from worst to first. And, uh, you know, you get better players, and, you know, the biggest thing, the kids bought into it, you know, and um, the players uh, did a good job of of uh, making adjustments, throwing strikes. I mean, we, we do we, – we, we get to more advanced things. Like, we don't just, you know, throw strikes. That's the only thing we want to talk about and worry about. Um, but that's number one for us, for sure. But, you know, I don't think a lot of kids need to worry about what their spin rate is if they're throwing it not where they want to, you know. If you got – um, you got a really high spin rate, and you're throwing it three feet outside. I don't want to really want to talk about your spin rate. I want to talk about the ball being three feet outside, and uh, you know, let's figure out how to get it in zones. And we get it in the zone. We can throw it where we want to. You know, we're 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 uh, we got two strikeouts for every walk. We get for a ratio. Um, then we can then we can start talking about spin rates. Let's we'll start let's we'll start worrying about that. Let's do some more video. Let's do some other things like that, but. I think a lot of kids, especially in high school, will, uh, I want to worry about my velocity and I want to know what my spin rate is. Um, and I don't care if I walk guys. They're fine with it. Which is, I get it, you know, because if you're, if you're not throwing 88 or so, it's going to be tough to get a lot of D1 scholarships. Um, but that, that's just what we did. And that, I think that was our biggest thing we turned around is, uh, you know, we get our, you know, we got our, our head speed in one year, and that, that really helped us out. Um, take a look in the mirror um, and figure out what we need to do and start with the basic fundamentals, and it's just kind of took off from there. Well, there's a lot of different questions I'd like to ask you based on that answer. Um, but let's, the, the first question I'll kind of get with something, uh, go with something that you said, like toward the end of that answer. High school players, um, the focus across the board really just seems to be for high school pitchers 
that, that throwing hard is the number one thing that they're concerned about. Um, and, and, you know, when you, whether you're at a showcase or whether you're, you know, you're going to a, a facility and, and you have an instructor, not that instructors only focus on throwing hard, but, like, it, it's, it's like if a kid goes to an instructor, that's one of the things that he expects he's going to learn how to throw harder. Um, for you as a, as a college pitching coach as well as the recruiting coordinator, do you think that that is the right way to go about it in college because you're getting these guys on campus and then it's like you're having to teach them how to throw the ball in the strike zone and throw it where they want it? Do you think it's right to have the focus in high school be velocity as opposed to sort of taking on the mentality that you have with your players, being able to throw three pitches for strikes and be able to command your pitches? Uh, is there one or the other that you, you would prefer that was the focus for high school players? You know, I, I really wish, you know, early in their high school career, if you got four years of work with them um, and you got an instructor or your, your high school coach is really working with you, if you're in ninth grade, to start working on it, um, on throwing strikes and getting our mechanics right uh, and the little things right. And then by your senior year, Let's start worrying about what the radar gun says. Well, what can we do to get to fix the radar gun? Uh, our readings, and you know, whether it's on the field or in the weight room. Um, but I, I wish that was the natural development. But a lot of people kind of wait to the last minute, and we're going to get on a, a, a weighted ball program my uh, junior and senior year. And I'm just going to throw it as absolutely as hard as I can. Um, and I'm not throwing as many strikes because you know, obviously, as you're you're gaining velocity, your mechanics are going to change a little bit. Um, and now I, I don't have the same command I did when I was throwing slower, or I'm too max effort. Um, you know, it's just, I wish it was a little bit more of a steady progression, but because a lot of times these high school seniors are come in uh, um, as a college freshman, and, you know, we got we to gotta worry about, you know, our two-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratios and stuff like that. You know, there's a lot of... You know, and the running game, you know, like there's a lot of things that's going to have to change from what you did in high school. Wish there was a little bit a little bit different on what you did with the progression of a pitcher um, in high school. And I get it. I know I know they got limited time and with their coaches, and they got to play different positions as well besides pitch. And what would you also – what would you say to the coach out there or even the kid that's listening to this saying, well, Coach Serber, if I don't throw – if I don't throw 88, that's the number that you mentioned earlier, if I don't throw 88, no one's going to look at me. So what's the point of throwing strikes if I don't throw 88? Like, what would you what would you say to that kid? And I don't know if there's a good answer. I'm not, I'm not saying there's yeah, a grid, but, I mean, what would, you, what would you say to that kid or that coach that's out there? Because there's a, there's a lot of competition for those scholarships, you yeah. know, and for a pitcher, it, it feels like sometimes, I mean, the, the one thing that really, really matters is velocity when, it, when you're recruiting. I mean, if you're sitting there with a radar gun and you don't see the numbers that you want, it kind of doesn't matter what else is happening, right? I mean, what would you yeah. say to the kid or, or the coach or the parent out there that, that feels that way, that's like, well, I'm focusing on velocity because if I don't have it, I'm not going to be able to play at the level that I want to. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think everybody is on a rush, and including college coaches and kids are in a rush to get that scholarship and commit. Uh, so quickly, you know, like if I'm not throwing 85 by uh, my junior year, um, I'm, I'm, I might not make it, you know, or something like that. You know, I think a lot of a lot of people need to realize you got a lot of time to work on things. And like right now, you got November, December time off from throwing. You, you got a great opportunity to uh, get in the weight room and get stronger. And you got 
you got time because I promise if you start hitting some numbers and you keep those same strike commands, um, somebody will find you late. You know, we, we signed some guys late. Um, I know I, I graduated high school at a different recruiting time that we're in now. Um, I graduated high school in 2006, a long time ago, but, you know, I committed to go to High Point on a, a pretty pretty good scholarship with, like, four games to go my senior year. <laughs> with well, one of the best teams in the state. So um, you got you got time. You got time. So, you, I mean, in, in your honest opinion, do you think that right now if a, if a kid followed the, that kind of a plan that you're laying out where as a, as a freshman, sophomore especially, the focus was on just kind of getting the, the basic mechanics down, throw a lot of strikes, yeah. kind of command more than one pitch, and worry about velocity, like let the velocity come once your mechanics are in line. If a kid comes out as a senior in high school and nobody really knows about him, and he takes a pretty good jump between junior and senior year because he follows that this plan you're laying out, and he comes out as a senior with pretty good velocity, and he's got those three pitches that he can throw for strikes in kind of any count. Is anybody truly going to have any scholarship money left for that kid? And I don't just let, – let's just talk about Division One. Uh, that's yeah. where you're at. Are any Division One schools going to have any scholarship money left for a high school player spring of senior year in high school? If you're an arm that – D1 schools are going to think you're going to help us win games. They're going to find a way to get you money. Um, they're they're going to find a way to get you money to get you uh, or do everything they can if they want you and they see the good velocity, they see the good command, and you're going to be a difference maker. Um, yeah, they're going to find it for you. That's just that, that, I think any coach is going to do that at any level. And if not, and if not, I. Truly, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of junior college, which is why I kind of yeah. wanted to get into it earlier. If not, you can go to junior college for even one year. If you're eligible to go to a Division One out of high school, you can Absolutely. go to junior college for one year and then be eligible to play Division One. And, you know, how many times are you guys out, you know, watching a junior college team and you see a freshman who's really freaking good and you're like, holy cow, where was this kid in high school? Yeah. yeah. Right? That happens, I'm assuming, when you're out recruiting, right? <laughs> yeah, it happens all the time because, uh, you know, a lot of – you're playing travel ball is pretty expensive. There might be a lot of kids out there that can't play travel ball and be in, uh, you know, be in Atlanta for a week and hotel rooms for a week and doing all these other things. Like, it's uh, it's very, very pricey to play um, on the, the summer showcase of travel ball. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different routes. you got to figure out what works best for you. And for a lot of people – Junior college is a route that could be uh, a very good one for you. You know, it might not be the the route you want to take right now, but you could, you could look back and be like, "Wow, I'm glad I did that. Save a little bit of money, and then go to a local or in-state uh, community college, and you know, you uh, develop, and then you get a Division One scholarship and you get your degree. So it's a might be a different different route." Yeah, it's amazing how many kids uh, start out that way and have such better offers leaving junior college than they ever had in high school. Yeah. Let's talk about that high school team a little bit that you were on. As a junior, it's hard to believe you didn't get any offers going 10-0 and as a junior uh, in yeah. high school, or at least not any offers that made you commit. That You may have had some offers. And your team that year started 30-0, and I read a little bit about who who was on that team. And these may or may not be names that other people are familiar with, but tell me a little bit about that team and about the guys that were on that team and where they ended up going. This is, it's, it's an unbelievable story for a high school team. 
Yeah, it was, it was, it's kind of cool. And the biggest thing is we're all best friends and we grew up, we actually grew up playing uh, AAU ball together when we was 12 years old. Um, um, Dustin Ackley's dad and my dad actually coached that team. We won the national championship when we were 13. So that was pretty cool. And we're all from the same area, so we we're all going to go to the same high school. Um, you know, Dustin Ackley went to Carolina um, and was second overall pick. Um, and what was it? What have been the 2012 draft? Right behind Steven Strasburg. Was Steven Strasburg went 1 1. Yeah. Yeah, Strasburg went first overall. Ackley went second overall after an unbelievable career at Chapel Hill. I think his lowest batting average was 414 um, as a freshman <laughs> in the ACC. So the kid could hit a little bit, to say the least. But he was a pretty good guy to have hitting in the middle of an order. We had another kid uh, named Addison Johnson who went to Clemson, who was actually probably the most talented player I've ever played with ahead of Dustin Ackley. At, at, in high school at the time, Addison couldn't stay healthy, unfortunately, at Clemson. Um, but he started as a freshman at Clemson, um, played outfield for him. But he was he was very good. He could pitch. He was a lefty. You know, he ran like a six 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 sixty through 90, 90, 91 on the mound. Had a good curveball. Um, could really play outfield and could really hit. Obviously, he went to he th- he was a left-handed pitcher throwing ninety ninety one with a good curveball. But he was such a good outfielder and hitter, they made him a hitter, you know. So, you you know, in coaching, if you have a left-hander throwing 90-91 and he's good on the mound, he's probably going to be on the mound instead of playing a position. That's right. But that's how good he was in the position. And then we had Wes Hobson who went to App State. Um, he got in the App State Hall of Fame. He, I think he hit 400 as a junior uh, or senior. Very good player. Um, and Stephon Morris, he went to Gardner-Webb. Had a good career. We had Michael Wall who went to UNCG. So we had like seven or eight Division One guys, and we all lived in a, you know, kind of a small town and went to North Forsyth High School and won 30 games in a row. And we actually lost two in a row in the state semifinals to South Caldwell High School. And we got eliminated um, from the playoffs by a pitcher named Madison Bumgarner. So that Heard of that funny. guy. <laughs> if you're going to lose with a really good team like that, I guess, you know, probably one of the best World Series pitchers and clutch pitchers is a guy to lose to. Yeah, that guy's done that to several teams through his career. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, that's unbelievable. I I, I think uh, I went to a little high school in central Pennsylvania, and um, I believe from the time I was a freshman until I was a senior, I would bet that only about five total people played in college, total. Well, so that's uh, I can't even imagine being on a team like yours. I probably wouldn't have played. I probably would have been on the bench until. Senior year, so. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was fun, and I think the best thing about it, we're all really really close friends, and uh, you know we still talk on the regular basis. You know, if you have a have a group of guys like that that's played with each other from twelve to you know, college, and then we played against each other in college. So, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. Well, to back me, to Addison, and uh, Wes Hobson are actually going to – we all get um, babies. Our babies on the way. So, hopefully we can uh, we can get that AAU team back together. Again. Recreate so, that, so man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've thought that about, thought about that with uh, some of the other guys that I used to play with or coach with, like you have kids at the same time and you think like something cool like that. There's actually um, uh, 
some guys that I don't live close to, and we've just talked about, like, hey, let's send them all to the same college together, and, like, we'll go down and sit in the stands and be the old men who are sitting in the stands talking about the glory days and yeah, like that. So. Yeah, we we got all boys so far, so hopefully nobody likes them. If I have a girl, then we'll give them a pretty tough time. <laughs> they can play softball down there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think softball games are at different times of the day. Still send them to the same school. Um, talking, I want to go back to your just uh, – Coaching your own kids, your own your players there at, at A and T, um, the kind of the buzz on social media is that it's a lot easier to teach velocity than command. And command sometimes people are like, well, you have it or you don't. I think people feel that way sometimes about spinning the ball either as well. Like either you can spin it or you can't. Uh, it's not something you can teach. I, I've heard that a number of times through the years. How do you teach your kids to command the baseball? You you, you have a team when you first got there that just had a difficult time throwing strikes, difficult time throwing the ball over the plate. And again, I know you probably recruited guys that you felt like could throw the ball over the plate more often, but do you think that command is something that you can teach? And if so, how do you go about doing that? Is it, is it through drills? Is it just through certain repetitions? I mean, how do you, how do you teach command to players? Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of simple drills that we do, and some of them are actually on your website, and those are kind of like our basic fundamentals. Like this is something we're going to do, um, and our focus point is uh, going to be able to throw it where we want to and have the catcher set up inside and outside. Um, so it's just some, it's something that I think you can anybody can do if you have the right mindset, the right uh, mentality. It might take you a lot longer than other guys, but if you stick your head to it and um, – you know, I think we got a culture around us where at our on our staff where they're bought into doing it, so they kind of they can kind of do things on their own uh, on that side. Where without me, you know, standing over top of them, watching them every time, and I think that's another big thing that's been successful with our program is the players coach each other and like, hey, no, you got to do it this way. Like, hey, make an adjustment or whatever. Because um, I think anybody can do it, but you just gotta you gotta have the right mindset. And you gotta really really want to do it, just like kind of anything else in life if you really really want to do something you're gonna put your mind to it you're gonna you know you're gonna get it done now if a young player is struggling to throw strikes and i i, I reference my own career if anything more to say like this is what went wrong uh typically that's how i i like to get into my own playing career but as yeah. a high school player i pitched and i and i threw fairly hard um and i wanted to throw strikes but i i walked way way too many guys um, yeah. And I think a lot of it, I, I can pinpoint some things now. But if you have a kid that's listening to this that's a high school player and, you know, he's he's got a good arm, he's got good stuff, but he just doesn't throw enough strikes, you know, he wants to, but he's just not there. Do you think that that is more about something with the mindset? And the mindset doesn't mean, like, just, okay, you just have to decide that you want to throw strikes. Is there something in the mindset that you think can fix that, or, or is it typically something mechanically or – the, is that kind of on a on a person to person basis? Like if a kid's listening to this and he wants to fix it and he wants to throw more strikes, is is it typically is the something in the mindset he can fix or mechanics? That's uh, probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, you can have the right mindset, and really, really, really want to do it, but maybe you don't have confidence when you get on the rubber or when you when you walk a guy, you get some negative thoughts in your mind. You know, obviously those are things that you got to overcome and, um, you know, not let not let one mistake turn into four mistakes, you know, because one walk's a lot more manageable than four walks or whatever. Um, 
So, I mean, it's something that you got to stick with for a long period of time. It's not something that, hey, I'm going to uh, put this in the microwave and it's going to be ready for me to go. You know, it's not, it's not something like that. It's something you got to work on for, you know, maybe it takes you a year to really, really figure it out. Or maybe it takes you two or three months to really, really figure it out. Um, you know, the, you know, it's no different than like a, you know, kind of like, I can't explain it. Like, you know, sometimes I get those elite five-star quarterbacks at, you know, Alabama or Clemson or something like that. And they know they're going to redshirt just to learn the offense or learn how to figure it out. Like, that's kind of what you got to do. Um I guess with pitching sometimes. Maybe you need a year to figure it out. Maybe you need a red shirt or maybe you need to just this is the one thing we're gonna focus on for a whole year. And it's gonna be throwing strikes. And then it's gonna maybe year three we're gonna worry about our velocity and uh our different things like that. Yeah, it's such so. a difficult mindset for a young kid to have to to think about like it's gonna take me a year to get there or I might have to redshirt for a year just to just to figure this one part out of my game is such a difficult mindset not just for a kid for anybody you know I'm, I'm 34 years old and you know it's difficult for me to think about like it's going to take me a year to get this to get something done no. um, what is the right mindset to be able to throw strikes it's got to be more than just hey I'm going to go out and throw strikes today what is yeah. the right mindset like what should a guy's focus be for maybe let's let's talk about if we can for a full outing, uh, you know maybe for an inning, maybe for a batter, maybe pitch to pitch. You know where where do you break it down? Uh, what is the right mindset for somebody that wants to be a strike thrower? Um, I think you got you can't be afraid of contact. Um, you know I think we want all our our starting pitchers, and I think these guys have done an unbelievable job on this for the last two years. We haven't changed our starting rotation in two years. Once we said it at the beginning of the year, it hasn't changed in two years. Um, that, uh, you know, we want to get a quality start, three runs or less. Uh, and I think it's a lot better. You know, you got to think of it as a victory. It's better to get a guy to roll over in two strike, two pitches than it is to get a strikeout and pop. Um, get a team deep in the game to uh, have a chance to win. Um but I think I think you can't be afraid of contact for sure, because uh, you're gonna give up a hit here and there. And I think if we can eliminate balls in the air, we want to want to get the ball on the ground. Obviously, um, we can get away from those extra base hits. So keep away from the extra base hits. You get a decent pickoff move. You can pick somebody off, um, or they're not gonna steal. We've been lucky to have an extremely talented catcher for the last three years, Ron Stanley. Tough guy to run on. Um, so. They got to get three singles to score you. That's going to be you're going to win a lot of games that way um, if you don't give up any doubles. So you know, little things like that. Know your little victories, inning by inning. You know, you get through an inning. You know, you come back, sit on the bench, you rest, and you focus on the next few hitters. You know, we try and talk about our scouting report a little bit. Who's coming up? What we need to be afraid of? What we need to watch of? So, I mean, I. I think a lot of things you got you got you got to be competitive. Um, you can't be afraid of contact. Um, and a big thing is I don't think you can have a lot of negative thoughts uh, when when things go down. Like we do little things like you know take our hat off, shake out the bad thoughts when something goes bad. And we seem like we had quite a few pitchers the past few years. So things start going bad, they have a negative negative thought. They'd be like, Tom, step off the back, 
go clean your cleats, take your hat off, shake the negative thoughts out, put your hat back on. It's just, I think little simple cues like that can keep you in positive and uh, uh, you know keep keep you in a, in a, a better mindset of what's going on instead of letting the game speed up on you and then you get in quicksand you know, and you don't know which way's up. You know. I love little simple cues like that. As a hitting coach, I had uh, several things in my, in my back pocket to kind of teach guys to do that same sort of thing to get yeah. rid of the negative thought and move on to the next pitch. Because if you're, I'm sure it's the same, you know, pitching and hitting. If you're trying to pitch with negative thoughts in your mind or you're you're stuck on that last pitch or the last result, guy just hit the double off you, and you still kind of have that ringing in your ears. You know, it's very, very difficult to move on and and, and you know compete and uh, and to you know accomplish what you want to on your your next pitch. And and on the mound, probably more so at the plate, things can things can get bad really, really quickly. No, no. <laughs> you know, it happens really, really in a hurry. You so lose more times than you win at the plate, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. As a pitcher, we need to know that. So. You know, I think same thing for a hitter, you know. I mean, exactly what you're talking about from the offensive side. Little cues like that to keep you keep you going, you know, are huge. I think they're absolutely huge. And even looking at the big leagues, just where, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are more familiar, the best pitchers in the major leagues with the long careers are the guys that can stop the bleeding, right? They're, they're not guys that give up the, a six-run inning and, and, like, cruise through five innings and all of a sudden give up a six spot. You know, and yeah. they're guys that can um, that can refocus themselves and give up back-to-back doubles or a two-run homer, and then get right back to where they were, which is not a much 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 easier thing to talk about than it is to, to actually do. Yeah, that's what separates the guys from like uh, Verlander to the guy with the Braves, Mike Fultonivitz. You know, like six foot six, throws hard. You know, unbelievable stuff. And then you got Verlander, got similar stuff, maybe a little bit better command, but God knows how to wiggle a little bit, you know. <laughs> Verlander's a great story. Just I remember a couple yeah. years ago he got he got hurt and he was like not quite the same when he came back, and you kind of thought well he's not going to be the same guy again. Yeah, everybody thought that. Yeah, and and he is. <laughs> he's the same guy, he maybe better. Yeah, still got it, no doubt. <laughs> um, I just I kind of want to talk about just some other things that are kind of off maybe off the uh, what you would typically hear on a podcast like this, just, just for fun, um, a couple things. What's the – as a coach, you've got a lot of hats, especially as a college coach. You wear a lot of hats. What's the yeah. most important thing that you do as a coach? And, and take that for as broad of a question as it is. What's the most important thing you do as a coach? Um, I think I think a big – one of the most important things I want to think about is I want the guys to have a good experience playing college ball because I had a great experience. Uh, you know, my first couple of years at High Point, um, you know, we we had a reckless team and there's a lot of kids getting in trouble and it was like more of a of a college party than it was uh, being part of a Division One baseball team and. Coach Cozart came in uh, my junior year, or no, my yeah, my junior year, um, and it gave me the uh, a good college experience. Like it was tougher, you know. His first year there, we I could probably run a marathon. Like we ran so much every day because kids were getting in trouble, and Coach Cozart was like a drill sergeant, and you know we're gonna like somebody gets in, in trouble, like we're running 
until we threw up pretty much. It was miserable. But it was also the best thing in the world for us because we knew we needed it, and that's what it was going to take to win to, you know, have some team discipline. Um, and it gave me a good college experience, and now that I've graduated, uh, I still talk to Coach Cozart probably every other day, and we're hunting buddies now. And I would love for uh, I love for the guys to have that same experience, and uh, maybe you know call me five ten years from now, and uh, or get some more wedding invitations, and you know hear about them having babies and stuff like that. So that's really that's what we want. I want the guys to have that experience. Obviously, winning games is outstanding. Going to regionals is outstanding. But I think uh, I think the relationships really the things that matter is going to last the longest too. I like that a lot. I like that perspective a lot. What's yeah, the most... I mean, my championship ring is sitting over here with dust on it right now. So <laughs> I was thinking to win it, but um, <laughs> you know, what's going to last the longest? What's going to mean the most? That's great. Um, what's the most fun thing to you about being a college coach? Um, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot. I mean, I, I enjoy being on the road talking to other coaches that are become my, uh, my my friends, you know, my close friends. Um, and seeing, seeing the guys uh, have success and, you know, start from uh, where they get here and where they're going to be in four years, you know, see the growth, the development. Um, those are fun. And, uh, you know, seeing, you know, some, some of these guys are so dream, you know, and, uh, you know, it, at an HBCU, we get a uh, we get an opportunity to take kids and play at uh, Carolina or South Carolina and compete against those guys where they, you know, might not have a, had a chance to play at some really good um, high school fields or some high school programs. You know, like they, we get a lot of walks of life on our team, which makes it fun too. But you know, seeing them like last year, we went in and uh, beat South Carolina actually through a shutout against them like that was like seeing how happy the guys were i was like wow this is this is fun that's i awesome. get paid to do this you know that's a real special thing for people on the outside looking in and, and even me where i'm at in my life right now uh you know I've, I've been a college coach but i'm not now and just you know guys that get paid to do things that they love is, is a really special thing um what are some things that you've been working on maybe plan to implement in the next 12 months to make either yourself or your program more successful? Do you have anything that you've kind of been spinning your wheels about and like new things that you want to kind of bring in or introduce or maybe something you have recently that you feel like is really going to change things around for you? Um, well, we're supposed to, uh, we're taking over what was called the Aggie Dome because we built a new student center, which is actually ginormous. It was a $90 million student center. We had a temporary building up that served as a student center where people could go in there and grab some food and different places to eat outside the cafe. Um, I know every college needs that, um, but we uh, that building staying up, and you know, athletics are going to take over that building. We have a men's baseball, women's softball, and golf, and they have a little golf room where they can hit balls. But um, a biggest thing I would like to implement is getting some of those uh, slow motion. Uh, capture cameras to get some of those electronic cameras um, in there, and uh, there are plans to we have plans to get that already uh, going in place. Hopefully, that's in by next fall. 
but you know get some more of the data and data collection stuff i think is important you know that's a that's a hot thing nowadays but obviously we're not going to go data driven before we go throwing strikes driven because i know i know it can get mixed up that way but i'm excited about the cameras for sure that's awesome is there anything you use right now do you use any kind of app or anything to to uh to try to get some slow motion uh, that may not be as good as those cameras, but do you do you do anything like yeah. that for your players right now? Yeah, we just got the simple camcorders that we that we got and uh, put them on the computer and you know slow them down, um, or you know even using your iPhone um, to be pretty good. You know, get a to get a good a decent iPhone, get the iPhone 11. It works it works solid. And you can just transfer it to your computer and whatnot. But you can find ways to get some things done. It might not be perfect, but you know you can figure it out. As far as yourself, uh, learning, kind of staying ahead of the curve or at least at the front of the curve, uh, what are some things that you try to do personally to keep or, or maybe um, resources that you use to try to learn that you might recommend to other people, like whether it's things you uh, listen to, a podcast or, or something else, or are there books, are there websites that you kind of rely on? You know, what does Jamie Serber use? on a regular basis to continue to learn and, and grow and develop. And it can be pitching or it can just be on a personal level or anything like that. But what are, what are, what do you do to try to, uh, I guess, just to learn and, and kind of better yourself on a regular basis? Um, well, I think one of the best things helped me out. I read, uh, the head, heads up baseball written by Ken Revisa and, uh, Tom Hansen was one of the best learning, learning things that I have. I think every coach should read that at any level. Um, but, you know, constantly, you know, you can go into the ABCA, helps out every year, and, you know, websites like yourself and, uh, you know, seeing some – I like watching a lot of mental game coaches. That's, I think that's uh, the most important thing anyway, um, trying to figure out how to, you know, watch uh, – help, help kids out mentally, I think, is one of the most overlooked things in the data-driven baseball nowadays. For anyone that's not familiar, the late Ken Revisa uh, and also Tom Hansen, they have uh, both of them have several resources on the mental game that are that are really really terrific. That was something that I an area that I uh, I enjoy as well, and I've I've read several of those books, and I think they're just I think they're great. There's some of those books you can just kind of read over and over again, and, and you'll get the new stuff out of every time. So if no one, if you haven't checked those out yet, if you're interested in in just helping your players out with the mental game. Um, Definitely books that, that we recommend it. And Heads Up Baseball is one that you mentioned, right, Jamie? Yeah, that, I think that, that was one of their first books, I believe. They got several books yeah. after that. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the first ones. Um, one, more, one or two more questions, if you don't mind, then I'll, I'll let you go. Um, when you finish your coaching career, what do you hope people will look back? People will look back at Jamie Serber's career. What do you want people to say about you as a coach? Um. I hope they say that I was. Um, I gave them a good experience. Um, I was a good Christian and a good family man, because um, I think those are things that are extremely important important to me. You know, being being a good dad and being a good husband and uh, being a good Christian. I hope they. I hope I get remembered that way. Um, but I hope you know a fun, caring coach. You know, because I do care about the players, um, and I think it's a the care the players care about you as well that that relationship will last a lifetime 
I'll just I'll finish with this one. You have 35 guys on your roster, give or take. You probably have 18 or so pitchers. Does that sound about right? Yeah. How in the world do you touch, have kind of a touch with 18 different guys every day or as often as possible, you know, to let them know that you do genuinely care? Uh, you know, one of the one of the issues that I had or a uh, difficulty that I had as a young coach was um, you've got a lot of players out there. You've obviously got to talk about baseball with them. How do you also get them to know that you care about more than what they can do for you on a field with that many guys? You're, you're one guy, you're one pitching coach. You've got 18, 18 pitchers that you see, you know, for six months out or five months out of the year, whatever it is with you, take, you take out Christmas break in the summer. Um, how do you get your guys to know that, that you really do care about them as a coach? Well, I think you gotta, you gotta have a lot of non-baseball conversations. Uh, I think one of the best conditions we've had in the past year is get our offices at the stadium. We got a, we got a little, or we got a long hallway redone. Tournament of baseball offices are great and they're solid. You've been down here, you saw them. Um, but I think having them down here at the field's been huge because kids come hang out in the locker room or something like that in between classes a lot, and then they just come in here and talk to us and. You know, I might get a little bit less computer work done, but it's my favorite part of the day when they just come in and say what's up. Um, I think it's been huge for our program, so we got to hopefully we can keep keep that going. That's just a good perspective that you got, Jamie, and you're uh, not a guy that tries to overcomplicate things, but I think you know, simple and effective. Obviously, you said you you get into more more in depth stuff with guys when they need it, but it's such a it's a simple process, but it's a process that if you really buy into, you know, what you're doing with your players, that, that obviously it pays dividends even at the college level uh, and beyond. And, and I just – I like hearing that. Uh, I didn't – you know, you never quite know how these podcasts are going to go. Uh, but but I love hearing the messages you've got and what you're doing with players because I, I think it, there are so many young coaches and young players out there who feel like that they need to be doing something a little bit different or need to be doing more than just – those simple things and just to hear that this is what you're doing with your players and it's working. It's not like it's, you know, not like you guys are, are 10 games under 500. I mean, you, you flip that yeah. program around really quickly. It's just, it's great to hear. Um, and in a pretty evident, you're a guy also that's a, a player's coach and a guy that's fun to be around. Uh, you know, you're a lot of fun to be around as a, as a, just when I come down there personally, it, it seems like you'd be a great guy to play for. Um, so I, I just, I really appreciate your perspective. I appreciate you spending the time with us here today. It's been a, it's been an awesome podcast, and um, would love to have you back here at some point. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was good talking to you. Always a good conversation to talk to you. And, uh, you know, you're another guy in the game that's doing things for the right reason, uh, doing it for other people and players, you know, more so than doing it for yourself. So I think anytime you're doing that, it's going to be – that's how you get so many good people in baseball. There's a lot of guys out there that way. A lot of guys. A lot, a lot of guys out there that are very unselfish and um, – it's just it's good to be around a lot of them, and we try to have as many as we can on Figured Out Baseball as a part of the website here. So I uh, appreciate everything, Coach Serber. Uh, good luck to you guys at, at A&T. We'll be following you in the spring, and I just look forward to seeing what you guys do. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. You have a good holidays, and uh, hope you uh, hope you have a good time with family at break. Th- thank you. Same to you.